what Peter is saying here, he, he is calling us to run from passivity. In fact, resistance means not to be passive, to go after the enemy. We will not defeat the devil if we are passive. There needs to be righteous indignation. This is Living a Legacy with Crawford Lorenz. Well, Satan has your number and has every intention of affecting your life in a way that he hopes causes you to turn from God and become ineffective in your mission. It's not a joke. However, as Christians, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ and in His Word. Today, Crawford wraps up his series, Unmasking Satan. In a moment, part two of his message, Winning the Battle. If you're new to our program, Crawford Loritz has been in church and Christian organizational ministry for over 40 years. He's authored several books, including Leadership as an Identity, Unshaken, and his latest, co-authored by his wife Karen, Your Marriage, Today and Tomorrow. Last week, Crawford began to answer three questions about spiritual warfare strategy. The first one, what Satan can't do to us. The second, what Satan and his demons can do to us. And the third, how do we win the battle? Crawford addressed the first question last week, and we'll pick up the second one today, what Satan and his demons can do to us. Crawford suggested there are ten ways that they can get to us. Discouragement, fear, and doubt are the first three. The fourth way, coming right up. Our text is 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. Number four, Satan gets at us through sexual immorality. The whole category of things. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. I find in this one all of his resources sometimes are focused. And this is a particular um, um, special favorite weapon of our enemy. Because sexual activity, and I, you know, I don't mean to sound crude here, and you're going to think, but see, with our perverse society, what I'm about ready to say here can be seen as being perverse, but I don't mean it this way. Sexual interaction between a man and a woman who commit each other for the rest of their lives was meant to be the earthly illustration of what communion with God was meant to be like. That's the beauty of that experience. And so he perverts that. And he uses that in our lives. Um, I think number five, division and disunity. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. Wherever there's division, wherever there's disunity, you can almost go to the bank. There's a work of the devil somewhere. There's some demons around here someplace. People get mad, get angry, even though it might be over a, right, a, a small right issue. Sometimes it gets blown out of proportion. You just want to take your ball and go home. You want to quit. Number six, slander and accusation. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, the devil specializes in ruining, ruining people's reputations and slandering and lies and putting things out there. And I, just a little aside here, I, I, gotta, I gotta tell you something. In our social media involvement environment here, this is a particular one that the devil is using a lot among Christians. And I just wanna encourage us as a pastor, admonish us here, careful, 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 and be very responsible be very responsible and very careful of what you post on your Facebook and what you say, you know, on your Instagram and what you decide to tweet out and, you know, copy and paste and this kind of thing. I have read some stuff 
that amounts to slander. You don't mean to do it. You read something, you have a strong opinion about something, and you want to pass that on or repost it, and come to find out when you look at the whole deal, it's, it's, it's half-truths, and it's not right. Somebody ends up getting hurt. Or you say something in the fit of anger or frustration with something. You know, we've got, we got to be careful of this stuff. There's a sophisticated way in which, and this is the reason why, by the way, uh, I, don't, I don't ever comment negatively on, post, on, on Facebook, and I don't enter into dialogues on Facebook. If you want to bait me into a dialogue or answer a question, sorry, I'm not going to do it. I, I, just, I just think we need to be careful. I think the, the, the enemy specializes in unbridled opinions about people, and you end up slandering somebody. You didn't intend to do it, but you passed on stuff that wasn't accurate. And that's the work of the enemy. Happens in churches a whole lot. That's just the work of the enemy. I think pride, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. It's interesting to me how the, 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 the command to humble yourselves is attached to your, your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion. The ellipsis there is pride, unbridled pride, feeling better about yourself than you ought to, thinking you all that. Numbers, number 8. Persecution and attack. That's how he gets after us. He comes after us with persecution and attack. Revelation chapter, um, chapter 12, verse 10 again. Yeah. He, he just, that's what's going on in the world. All this stuff, all these Christians come being, being killed by ISIS and uh, under persecution in Indonesia and these other places around the world. Uh, that's, that's the work of the enemy. I think number nine enticement of the world. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16 is another way that he comes at us. And it's a very subtle thing for us because this one is sanitized. This one is normalized. We, 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 we get more joy out of the bricks we live in and the pieces of metal that we drive down the road or the label in our clothing or the places that we go, or the attention that we get from our peers than we do from the Lord Jesus. And this is the most, so this, 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 is a, this is becoming quickly a national center of the United States of America. And we don't question it, but it's, it's the work of the enemy. Remember, he wants to replace God. And anything that he can do in terms of lifestyle issues, what he can give us, how he can prop us up, the enticement of the world and its values and his system and all of that stuff where we begin to be sort of like recreational Christians, but we're really passionate followers of the world system, he's got us. And I think number 10, this is a general category, but I think Satan and his demons exploit and leverage our weaknesses. I think that's the whole purpose of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18, the armor of God, to protect yourself from those weaknesses. And he does that. He, he knows that we're weak. Now, he's not om, om, omniscient. That is true. But he is smart as all get out. And he understands, and they understand, demons understand patterns in our lives. And they will exploit those patterns. They will exploit those weaknesses. You're insecure. You're full of fear. And you want to impress people. So he knows he can get you to lie. You got a wandering eye. Struggle with lust. You know he can leverage that. Or whatever it might be. 
So we're dealing with a powerful foe. Again, these are only 10 broad categories of things. There are many other things that he does. So he can, he can do some pretty, pretty bad things to us. He can neutralize us. He can take us out of the game. He can make us ineffective. That's what he can do. So the first question is, what can't he do? He can't take away our salvation. Number two, he and his demons cannot indwell us. What can he do? Oh, man. Oh, man. He can dismantle our effectiveness. He can harass us. He can, he can oppress us. He can make us feel awful. Well, the question is, how do we win the battle? How do we win the battle? And again, I just want to come back to say this. I just need to say it over and over and over again. Listen, you're going, if we name the name of the Lord Jesus, we're going to be engaged in spiritual battle. Did you hear what I said? It is ridiculous and naive to think that you're not going to be engaged in spiritual battle. If you name the name of the Lord Jesus, you have enlisted in the battle. Jesus Christ has not called us to a playground, in the words of the late Elizabeth Elliot, but he's called us to a battlefield. We're engaged in warfare. So the question is, how do we win the battle? I think as, as I've read the New Testament, and, uh, and, and particularly, you know, seeing how Paul and others have dealt with this, I, I think that there, there are three ways in which we win the battle. We win the battle with our mind, we win the battle with our will, and we win the battle with our preparation. Hear me on this, this is gonna help somebody, listen to me. We win the battle with our mind, we win the battle with our will, and we win the battle with our preparation. First of all, we win the battle with our mind. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 10. Verses 4 and 5. Listen to these verses. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and here's the line, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That opening line says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, they're not carnal. We cannot fight spiritual battles with carnal weapons. We can't do it. We can't do it. Now, I'm, I'm going out on a limb here, and I want you to hear me in this. Don't, uh, you need to hear what I'm saying. Don't draw conclusions or implications that I'm saying something I didn't say. So here's what I'm, hear me on this. Hear me on this. Hear me on this. Counseling that is not based on the scriptures, not based on the word of God, hear me, can only be helpful to a point. I mean, it can help us understand patterns in our lives. That might be true. It can help us understand the abuse and pain or dysfunction or contributing factors to that in our lives. That may be true. Um, it can give us certain coping mechanisms that may be accurate. It can give us a level of insight. But if, if there's a spiritual dimension to the problems that we are experiencing, 
That counseling is not going to help you. It's not going to deliver you. Now don't say, don't hear me as saying that all secular counseling is not helpful. I, that would be not exactly truth because all truth is God's truth. But in terms of it being able to deliver us, it's not helpful. You, you cannot, you cannot fight spiritual battles with carnal resources. You can't do it. You can't do it. You can rearrange the furniture all you want in your life. You can spackle the cracks in your mind and in your emotions and you can sort of mend this and band-aid that. But that's not where the battle is won. And some of the stuff that we're going through right now in our personal lives, it, it's in the spiritual category. And that's why Paul said, look, we're, we're, not, we're not ignorant concerning the enemy's schemes and strategies and plans. Our weapons, he doesn't identify them here, but in the, he identifies them elsewhere. The three primary weapons that we have are the word of God, prayer, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's where the transformation takes place. Now, secular insights and resources are powerless against Satan and his demons. Powerless. It is the word of God. It is prayer. And it is the power of the Spirit of God that grants us victory. Now, hear me. I'm, I'm nervous here up here. Don't, don't hear me as saying that that information is not helpful. Any truth is helpful. Any information is helpful. But I'm talking about what's going to deliver you. What's going to deliver you? And some of us have been stuck in certain dysfunctions because we're trying to apply secular solutions to that which is a spiritual problem. Verse 5 says, that's the word, he uses the word thought. That's the Greek word noema, usually translated mind. Satan uses wrong thinking to influence us. Hear me on this. You cannot have garbage in your head. You can't have trash in your head and expect to have holiness in your life. It doesn't work that way. Even if you're a hypocrite, hear me on this, this is the biggest lie the devil gives to us. Even if you're a hypocrite, even if you're, even if you're a master at, quote, compartmentalization. How many of you know that ultimately there's no such thing as compartmentalization? Yeah, ultimately there's no such thing as, eventually what you think about, what I think about, we're going to act on. It's going to tell the truth about us. That's the reason why the battle has to be won up here first. The mind, the mind is the window into all spirituality. It is the place that determines what we're going to be. So that's the reason why we've got to win it up here. The expression in verse 5 that says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Means that we bring all this stuff under the lordship of Christ. I love what Paul is implying here. You know, there's, there's going to be thoughts in our minds that are not right. All of us, including yours truly. I mean, just the other day, this, I, I, was, I wasn't even thinking about this whole area, and, I, and all of a sudden, there's, there's 
filthy, vile thought just raced across my mind. I'm going, where in the world did that come from? Well, don't look surprised at me. Stop it, you hypocrites. Y- y'all did the same thing. As a, did Crawford say that? Yeah. Don't get me started. I know some of you. Um, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it happens. What do you do when that happens? What do you do when that happens? Man, that, was, that wasn't a good thought, but man, it's, I kind of like that. At that point, you take that thought captive to the Lordship of Christ. Well, how do you do that? Let me just... The way we do that is by renewing our minds with God's Word. You see, this stuff, this stuff that lazy Christians will not win spiritual battles. I'm sorry, I just, I don't know of any other way to say it. Lazy believers will not win spiritual battles. There's a certain discipline inherent in the Christian life. It's not legalism, it's survival, Jack. And so, what do, you, what do you mean by that? Well, we renew our minds by reading the Bible consistently, by memorizing it, by living it and applying it, and probably most importantly, by confronting and challenging our thinkings and thoughts with it. And those thoughts hit you, you got to quote the Scriptures to you. You got to speak to yourself. Hey, that's wrong. That's not right. It's negative conclusions you make about people. You look at somebody and say, what an idiot, what a jerk. Say, what are you talking about? You better quote Philippians 4, 8, whatsoever, and let your mind be filled with these things. You, 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 you speak to your head. Again, it's the power of truth, power of truth. I need to hustle on here. We also win the battle not only with our mind, but we win the battle with our will, with our will. To be victorious presupposes action. Where do you get that from? Let us, I've quoted this or referred to this uh, several times already. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Peter says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now notice this line. Resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. How many of you know that a lion does not, when it wants to uh, capture something, doesn't, doesn't roar? Yeah, he doesn't roar. But what he's saying, he's speaking to fear. Your enemy's going around like a roaring lion. And I think the reason why it says roaring lion is because he realizes that you've been captured by Christ. But he wants to make you afraid. How do you battle fear? Here he says you face it. You don't run from intimidation. You face the thing that that is intimidating you. He says the way you do it, you resist him. James says it in James' fashion. He says it more directly. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You stand and fight. You don't run. And I don't, you know, please, in this series I've sounded so much like a locker room coach here, but I got I to tell you something. Some of us, some of us are just too weak. We're too weak. 
Not that the strength ever was really in us to begin with. The strength is in our Savior. The strength is in him. In fact, in fact, I think that's what Peter is alluding to when he says, you resist him firm in the faith. He's talking about the whole body of faith. He's talking about everything that you know. He's talking about the truth of this word. He said, I'm not asking you to resist him and just you use some, some false bravado, I can beat you. No, 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 no. You know the resources that you have. You've got the word of God. You've got the spirit of God living inside of you. You've seen God's faithfulness in your heart and life. You've seen him answer prayer on your behalf. Why are you afraid? And again, what Peter is saying here, he, he is calling us to run from passivity. In fact, resistance means not to be passive, to go after the enemy. It's active engagement against Satan. We will not defeat the devil if we are passive. There comes a point in time when when there needs to be righteous indignation. I really believe that's what the James 4 text is talking about, and that's what 1 Peter 5 is talking about. There's a time in our lives where you have to get angry at Satan and say, I'm not putting up with it anymore. This is not going to happen anymore. Some of us have been cowering over the mess in our lives when the Lord is saying, I'll give you resources, but first you need to stand up to it. You need to rebuke it. You need to resist it. So we win the battle, first of all, in our minds. Secondly, we win the battle with our wills. But thirdly, we win the battle with our preparation. You put on, now notice it's called the armor of God. This might sound a little granular here, but he calls it the armor of God because (laughs) he wants us to know that this is the armor that belongs to God. You don't come up with your own homemade version of fighting the devil in your terms. No, no, this is my armor. And this is what I prescribe for you that will win the battle. Now, you try something else, it ain't going to work for you. And as soldiers, we need to be prepared. And then finally, praying at all times. You always pray. Heighten, heighten. During times of attack, evil day, evil day, evil day. Heighten your prayer life. Heighten your prayer life. Heighten your prayer life. Pray, 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 pray. It's the attitude that we live in. We're praying. It's the atmosphere that we live in. Prayer here is the energy that enables us to wear the armor and to wield the sword. That's what prayer does. It is true that we have to stand and fight. But it's true that when we stand, all the resources of heaven are behind us. Crawford Loretz, our speaker here on Living a Legacy, wrapping up his series, Unmasking Satan. Well, we hope this has helped you understand our adversary a bit better. And it's so important to know that for followers of Christ, God has given us the tools to defeat Satan. And praise God, our Savior Jesus Christ is fighting the battles for us. If you weren't able to be with us for all of the messages in the series, listen to them on our website or download all of it for free to your audio player. Get started at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Thanks for letting us know that you've been impacted through Crawford's teaching in the Unmasking Satan messages. Your comments are important to us. Look for the Contact Us link at livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. Thanks for listening. 
This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.